We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app the weather outside may or may not be frightful but it's still a good time to take stock of how the city of chicago is doing when it comes to making bike riding and walking convenient and safe in good or bad weather And we're going to talk with someone from a group that keeps track of those things and more. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. The Chicago-based Active Transportation Alliance is a nonprofit group that works to make things better for people on bicycles, on foot, and on public transportation. They've been among the most influential advocates pushing the city to improve its infrastructure for bikes and pedestrians. And frankly, Chicago looks a lot different than it did a couple of decades ago in that regard. Well, this holiday weekend, we want to see how well things and people are going with one of the top officials at the ATA. Jim Merrill is the Managing Director of Advocacy for the Active Transportation Alliance, and he joins me via Zoom conferencing. Jim, welcome. Thanks for having me, Craig. Um, let's do a little ATA 101 for our listeners. Tell us a little bit about the group and the kinds of things that it does. Sure. Well, you know, as you said, uh, we are an advocacy organization. Um, we work throughout the region, so not just uh, in the city of Chicago, but uh, throughout the Cook County and the Colorado counties as well, um, to advocate for improving our communities for walking, biking, and transit. And we we do that not just because we think those things are fun and great, although they are, but we also know that walking, uh, biking, and transit can really uh, unlock important sustainability, health, and uh, economic equity benefits for our communities. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Obviously, walking is healthy for the people doing it, but, you know, if people are walking or riding and, frankly, walking, they're not taking cars, and that takes pollution out of the air, so that's healthy, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. You know, switching people to more active modes, as we say, walking and biking or using public transit um, gets folks out of cars, which cuts down on air pollution and um, also climate pollution. And as as we know, our stuff coming out of our tailpipes are a big contributor to climate change and actually the top source of uh, carbon pollution uh, right now in our city. Uh, the Active Transportation Alliance has been instrumental in getting uh, the city to uh, of Chicago, especially, although, as you point out, it's going on in the suburbs, too, uh, to develop and expand its network of bike lanes. And it's really a thing downtown now. Um, what's the most gratifying thing about uh, about how the city has been changing to accommodate uh, bike riders and, and frankly, pedestrians, too? 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I guess speaking for myself personally, you know, I've been doing this work for about 10 years. It, the, the, I noticed a, a shift in um, the conversations I was having with people like you uh, when they stopped asking me uh, to, to justify why were we accommodating bikes or framing the conversation in a, a bikes versus cars frame. And uh, the conversation started talking about, um, you know, the benefits and the boon for the city of Chicago. Um, and so, you know, I think over the, particularly, uh, you know, when uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel came in, his administration, um, you know, due to advocacy from groups like ours and others, uh, really made this a priority um, in the way that, you know, previous administrations had not. Um, and I think in terms of what's gratifying is, you know, you said it right there, we, we really have seen in certain parts of the city, uh, what a kind of complete, comfortable, low stress, high quality bicycle network on our streets can really look like. Um, and the problem now is how can we take that same experience that we're starting to see downtown and make sure it's accessible to every single resident in every single neighborhood in our city? And that that is a challenge. Um, is it happening in some areas of the city uh, the way you want to see it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, we've seen um, uh, Mayor Lightfoot's administration, you know, continue the focus on building out the bike network that began under the Emanuel administration. And the, you know, Chicago Department of Transportation is primarily responsible for implementing these projects. Um, and we have, you've seen them uh, really uh, elevate their game in terms of the number of projects and mileage that they're, that they're delivering, uh, but also uh, going deeper in specific neighborhoods. So over the last few years, they've developed what they call their their uh, neighbor neighborhood bicycling strategy, whereby they're focusing on a specific neighborhood and and spending basically a whole year with the community to talk about what types of destinations people need to access and what streets they think would be best for uh, for bicycle infrastructure, and then going immediately and trying to build out as much of that stuff as they can. So that's a new approach uh, that that CDOT has been taking. Um, that we've seen um, in Belmont Cragen, uh, and then more recently in North Lawndale, um, also in the, the 48th Ward in the Uptown area. Uh, and again, kind of similar to, you know, we're seeing great success uh, uh, downtown. Our, our big question, our big challenge to the city is how do we scale this activity up um, so that we're really seeing progress across the city and not just in, in different um, pockets where the city has the capacity to focus. Yeah, some of the complaints that I, I have heard has been that um, some of this infrastructure, uh, that a lot of the infrastructure is on the north side. Uh, and now you mentioned North Lawndale, so we're to the, there we are talking about uh, neighborhoods that are outside of the central city, but, um, but that there's still a lack of it in some areas. And frankly, we also don't see the the bike rentals uh, as much outside of the, the the loop as we do elsewhere. Yeah, the Divi the Divi bike share system, which um, is uh, expanding after um, starting out uh, in a more limited uh, in a more limited limited footprint towards the core of the city. Um, the city, uh, with its partnership through Lyft, which actually operates the system. Uh, I know is is you know do, rolling out new expansion a lot new a lot of new um, electric divvy bikes, and a lot of those bikes are going into communities where we haven't seen them before. Uh, the problem is that uh, while those e bikes are fun to ride, they're a lot more expensive than the kind of 
the conventional pedal bikes. And so while, uh, you know, we're seeing Divi expanded into more neighborhoods, we're not seeing it necessarily become the accessible everyday transportation option that we really are hoping uh, for it to be. Um, so in terms of, of bike share, that's still uh, a place where, you know, we, we've seen a lot of growth and a lot of progress, but um, there's still improvements that could be made in terms of equitable, equitable access and equitable, equitable, equitable pricing. Um, and then with, with our streets, you mentioned, you know, uh, disparity in terms of conditions for biking um, throughout the city. And uh, I'd, I'd say historically that might have been, you know, the case, but I, I do feel again, in the, you know, the last, um, you know, seven or eight years, we've seen the Department of Transportation try to much more deliberately focus. I know uh, a couple of years ago, they did a, a deliberate planning um, uh, approach on the far south side, knowing that they were going to be bringing additional Divi bikes um, to the far south side of the city. Uh, and they added uh, some additional bike facilities there. Um, so, you know, there's, I think there's, there's activity we're seeing, uh, around the city, but one thing that we've, we really haven't seen is, uh, again, kind of what's the overall vision and the, the citywide plan to make sure that we're connecting each and every neighborhood, um, rather than kind of, uh, what we're seeing now is much more of a piecemeal, piecemeal opportunistic approach, uh, which is getting a lot of good stuff done, but maybe not in the most strategic, uh, or equitable way. Um, is it? That you're seeing it, uh, for example, in linking some things like, you, you know, the 606 and uh, Lakeshore Drive, uh, where there you're hooking different pieces together to make a unified whole. But is that the kind of thing that you want to see on a wider scale? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of trips, this neighborhood approach at the city that I talked about that the city's taking really does address a lot of the types of trips that people are, are taking. You know, people like to to ride within usually a couple miles if they're going to use it to actually replace a car trip. Um, but we also know people go between neighborhoods and, and go from outlying areas to downtown or vice versa. And so um, if we only focus on kind of building out a neighborhood network without also having, you know, our like our, our street network for cars, right? We have residential streets, arterials that take us a little bit further and and our expressway system. So, um, you know, back in 2012, the city released a, a citywide vision for our bike network called the Streets Recycling Plan 2020. And that included this concept of spoke routes. Um, so really these kind of inter, uh, inter-neighborhood uh, superhighways for bikes to create these kind of long distance corridors um, that are safe and comfortable so people of all ages and abilities can use them. Uh, and while we've seen a lot of great new bike infrastructure pop up and some neighborhoods get some really great attention, we haven't seen those kind of linkages be built out in, in the way that was envisioned by that um, original plan, which really is now kind of fallen by the wayside. Are, is there a way to jumpstart the kind of talks that could do that or or is have, is money the problem is it just is it a matter of finding the resources to do these things you know usually money is the, the first problem um and for a long time that has been the excuse um however you know after you know, the last few years we have seen uh uh resources for these types of uh street projects uh actually coming online uh, in a way that they haven't before so the city uh, has the Chicago Works Capital Improvement Plan, um, which was uh, first passed uh, last year. 
uh, and has um, a, a large amount of money dedicated for uh, pedestrian and bicycle safety improvements. And that's local dollars. So the city has full control over what they can do with that. And that allows them to do a lot more things like physically protected bike lanes more quickly um, than they would if they were using other pots of money from the state or the federal government, where oftentimes there's more administrative red tape or timelines that they have to follow and process steps. Uh, so the fact that we have this local pot of money, um, which was just uh, renewed recently, and it's going to keep flowing, um, is really great in terms of the city being able to quickly build out its network of, of bike lanes. Um, but what we what we don't have is this kind of this kind of uh, vision for a, a, a connected network on our streets. Um, and what's the what's the kind of network that we're building towards? Uh, and so I think, you know, especially since we have this money and the and we know um, we're going to be able to be spending you know millions of dollars over the next few years on our streets, uh, we think it's really critical to have uh, a kind of an overarching vision and plan that provides a kind of transparency and accountability. Um, you know, we all expect from our, our public our public sector leaders. I want to also ask before we move, because I do want to talk about some of the other challenges, but um, is there anything either particularly good or particularly challenging going on with regards to pedestrians? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we've seen, um, unfortunately, uh, pedestrians um, uh, and drivers both experiencing an uptick in the number of, of fatal crashes, uh, both nationally and here locally. And so, um, you know, pedestrians continue to face a lot of challenges, especially our most vulnerable pedestrians. When we think about older adults, um, people who use wheelchairs or other mobility aids, young children, um, you know, our streets are, are, are often not not designed to enable folks to safely to safely cross or get where they're going. So unfortunately, yeah, I mean, I think we're still we're still seeing um, the persistent challenge with uh, a lot of preventable injury and death still happening on our roadways. Uh, but some of these, you know, new resources, new resources I just mentioned um, that the city has access to to build out bike lanes also uh, can can assist with uh, other types of traffic safety improvements for both drivers and, and pedestrians. There have been some headlines recently about uh, efforts to or proposals for the city to be responsible for shoveling uh, sidewalks. And I know some of it was raised by the uh, the communities or advocates for the disabled, but I would think, you know, pedestrian organizations like yours would also have some feelings about that because not all people can shovel their sidewalks. And frankly, some businesses and others don't and it doesn't get enforced that much and is that a concern yeah absolutely yeah so this this plow the sidewalks campaign is actually being led by our partners at access living um which is a you know disability rights advocacy group and our friends at better streets chicago which is also a you know safe streets advocacy group here working here locally in chicago and we're proud to be um to be partners on that on that campaign but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think anyone who lives in Chicago is familiar with, uh, no matter how you use the sidewalk, uh, the experience of your trip suddenly uh, becoming a lot more complicated because a you know a segment is on uh, uncleared or has been left for weeks and it now is icy, 
or right at the intersection where the crosswalk meets the the ramp, uh, the sidewalk ramp, you're, you're finding frozen puddles of slush and you don't know how deep it is. Uh, so this is a, a real challenge to to mobility in our city. And again, we know it's it's something that's disproportionately impacting the most vulnerable in our city. So that's why you know, this is one of the top issues our partners at Access Living um, say when they talk about transportation with their uh, with our leaders this is what they're this is what they're hearing hearing about and so um you know we've seen peer cities like toronto where uh where snow removal is uh, is a municipal service so just in terms of uh, practical feasibility uh, we know human beings are capable of of delivering snow removal as a uh as a as a municipal service it just hasn't been something um that i think has been uh within the realm of possibility and, and people's kind of hopes and dreams here locally. So uh, the, I know this campaign's uh, just entering its second year um, and we're excited to keep supporting it. And really, I think, you know, in general, we want to, we want to elevate everyone's ex expectations for how the city should be open to them and how easy it should be uh, for folks to move from point A to point B. And that includes, uh, you know, raising our game when it comes to winter weather. Indeed. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the arguments I know that the uh, uh, that the disability advocates uh, make is, you know, yeah, uh, besides the fact of how much it affects that population is finding, you know, a 70 year old person who lives in a house in a particular neighborhood because they didn't sho shovel their walk is not helpful. Uh, it hurts that person who couldn't get out there and shovel, and it also leaves their sidewalk unshoveled. So it doesn't actually solve the problem, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you're listening to WBBM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Jim Merrill. He's the managing director for advocacy with the Active Transportation Alliance. Um, and I want to talk about some of the some of the uh, very serious problems. And I think that the Probably uh, advocates like you would think it's a victory uh, that the city, Chicago City Council in its last uh, meeting of the year uh, approved a bike lane law that makes it easier for uh, uh, to ticket and tow cars that are blocking bike paths. And can you talk a little bit about how that got going and, and what the problem is that this addresses? Yeah, so so the problem is to is well known to anyone who who rides a bike uh, here in Chicago, uh, and that is the problem of cars either parking or idling, uh, obstructing bike lanes. And while you know you might say, well, someone could just go around the car, uh, it's actually that type of of movement um, next to a, a busy travel lane that can lead to preventable crashes. And in fact. Um, just this summer, there was a, a fatality involving a, a young child uh, on the back of her mother's bike, where uh, the mother had to navigate around an obstructed bike lane, uh, and uh, they were struck by a, a semi, and the, and the child was killed. So, you know, this idea of obstructed bike lanes being a real safety threat is is a real threat um, and a real problem. And I think a lot of times drivers think that like oh i'm just going to hop out quickly and run in and take care of my business um it's not a big deal uh unfortunately you know this this summer we we saw a really heartbreaking reminder that it is a big deal uh at the same time um you know it's it's a hard uh it's a hard problem to to deal with uh 
you know, long term, we think the solution is hardening our infrastructure. Uh, so doing things like making protected bike lanes separated from car lanes with concrete curbs or elevating them above the street level, um, like we see in other parts of the world, uh, in Europe and South America. Um, and, uh, you know, that type of infrastructure ultimately is a long-term solution. In the meantime, though, we know we have a real a problem and a real challenge today. The extent of this problem, I think, is best reflected that there's an entire advocacy movement that has grown up around just reporting obstructed bike lanes and trying to, to bring this issue to the forefront of the city's uh, attention. And so I don't think we can talk about this issue without talking about bike lane uprising uh, and the work that that organization has done to really document um, document this problem citywide and engage in some really effective advocacy to to raise uh, raise the salience of this issue with leaders and resulting in this this uh, increase in the fine and making it easier for uh, Department of Finance uh, folks to actually get a uh, call for for vehicles to be towed. So the police don't need to be involved. It's it's removing an extra step in the process. Um, but you know, ultimately, like this, uh, this fines and fees approach. I don't think anyone likes uh, to to have you know fines and fees and tickets um, and punishment be our you know the tool that we use the the stick. We really 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 think uh, this is again kind of getting back to what we were talking about earlier and this idea of not just for bikes but you know for our our active transportation network in general. We need to have a, a, a long-term vision for change of how we're going to use the dollars that we have available now from the city capital plan and from the federal infrastructure bill uh, to build out the type of uh, bike network uh, that we know we can, we can build. Um, we have the technology, we have the know-how, we have the money. Now we just need the political will to make it happen. Uh, I mean, how much of this also needs to be a a culture change uh, where people, and, and frankly, I think this is the, part of the uh, impetus for the law is the new law is that, well, if, if a few people start start getting ticketed for this or towed, maybe they will think twice before they commit the behavior. Like, for example, people know you shouldn't you should look before you open your car door if there's a bike lane right. nearby. Have we seen a drop? There, there used to be like an almost epidemic of people running into doors being opened are people better about that now uh you know that's a really difficult thing to to measure um and i don't have like the the most recent one of the things that has happened is the is that they started collecting data specifically on hmm. was this a door related crash or not so we don't have data going very far back uh however um, that still is one of the most common kinds of of crashes, but I, I do think you're absolutely right in terms of the the public. That's a really good example of a public awareness uh, campaign and initiative that has uh, has really aided to that. Um, but also, the, the probably the biggest thing that is the infrastructure that the city has built, where a lot of the the bike lanes, even the ones that don't have that physical protection or some kind of vertical separation, they often have a, a horizontal buffer where. A, a, dar a door has much more room to open up um, into the bike lane and much less of a chance to, to cause uh, that really dangerous type of crash that you you talked about. Now, is this the uh, the, the quieter season for uh, for bike riding? Uh, I, I, I do want to talk about some other things, but I, I, I have colleagues who certainly ride in cold weather, sometimes in rainy conditions. But I mean, are there does this does it kind of fall off? 
for the winter. You know, I I mean, we certainly don't see like the the joyriding or the tourists uh, as 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 much. You know, we don't have really great hard data and and bike counts. Um, but you know, some of the some of the the snippets that we do have uh, beyond this, the anecdotal data that everyone knows, like that there's that one person in there at their workplace that just rides all winter long and <laughs> has all kinds of yeah. cool clothes and stuff. <laughs> uh, is actually you know when the city has done bike counts. Um, during the middle of winter, they have seen, particularly on some of these busier corridors like Milwaukee Avenue going up the northwest side, that traffic could, bike traffic as much as 40% of the, the peak summer levels. And so, you know, there still are people out there, um, out there biking. And that's why we know when we talk about snow removal, um, you know, sidewalks we think should be the top priority, but, you know, making sure that we're, we're clearing our bike lanes and making sure that those are passable year round too. Because, uh, again, um, other cities uh, uh, which have even more uh, fearsome winters than us are, are able to do this. Minneapolis is a good example. Uh, Calgary uh, actually has a pretty good bike network and a pretty you know, serious winter biking culture. So it can become a more viable option if we invest in the infrastructure and services to make it, uh, to make it uh, useful for folks year round. Do you ride in the winter? I do not. I am more of a fair weather. I am more of a fair weather rider. When I do, I, I won't take like longer rides. Like I won't commute in. I live on the northwest side. I won't like ride in. Uh, but I do. One thing I have enjoyed uh, in the winter is having access to those divvy bikes because they're they got nice thick tires and they got like disc brakes, so you feel a little bit stronger and more secure uh, plowing through uh, or dashing through the snow. Right. So <laughs> that's my winter riding hack: is get yourself a divvy. Oh, there you go. Uh, now let's talk about mass transit because uh, I don't want to leave that uncovered here. Uh, what does uh, Active Trans do for transit riders, and what are your big issues? Yeah, well, you know, similar to to our work on um, on walking and biking, we're you know a bridge between community uh, members and residents and decision makers, and we help mobilize our grassroots members and supporters and and partner organizations. Uh, around um, a, an agenda for uh, making transit accessible uh, for everyone who needs it. Um, but, you know, right now, yeah, we're in a, you know, I talked about how we've seen, you know, crashes, um, serious injuries and crashes, particularly among motorists and pedestrians increasing. We're also facing a crisis with transit right now. And, and that is um, something people have probably seen, you know, uh, splashed across the headlines or on you know the, the local news coverage uh, concerns about about safety, um, about uh, addressing you know human the human needs of uh, the homeless po population or others using transit, um, the lack of service or the lack of reliable reliable service uh, due to uh, a, a real worker shortage that CTA is facing. Um, and so we're, you know, we're facing a, a real challenging time uh, for our transit system and the kind of broader context, you know, we're in this, we're in this tough moment. We're kind of coming, we're still like the pandemic isn't over. <laughs> we're still dealing with all these things. Right. So I think to some degree, we're seeing that play out on our transit as we are elsewhere. Uh, but um, we're also facing a, a real serious uh, fiscal cliff in a couple of years. Uh, you know, there's been, um, a huge drop off in ridership, which is a big part of the transit agency's revenue streams. Um, there has been some COVID relief money that's made uh, made the CTA and Pace and Metro and the RTA uh, relatively flush. Um, 
but that money is going to run out in a couple of years. And so we're going to need a plan to kind of fill in a pretty large hole if, we're, if our uh, transit system isn't going to collapse. And so um, we urgently need to be doing things not just to address the kind of uh, safety and reliability crisis that we're facing right now, but also uh, making sure that we're making the case uh, up and down uh, the levels of government that we need to be supporting uh, our entire regional transit network um, and, you know, fully funding uh, operations, not just uh, our new train lines, um, looking at things like, you know, flexing some of our highway money to support uh, transit operations instead of building more climate polluting roadways. And uh, we have this kind of archaic law that requires all of our transit agencies to get about 50% of their revenue from the fare box. And so, you know, we need to do away with that law and realize that, uh, you know, we can't hold uh, our transit agencies to these kind of untenable um, uh, revenue requirements uh, when we know it's, you know, the the service they provide is such an ec economic, uh, economic and social benefit. Yeah, I've, I've talked with them within the last week or two uh, to the director of the RTA who said that that model of half the money from the fare box just isn't sustainable. But are you seeing a movement in some other direction? I, I think we are. I think because we've been facing these, you know, these challenges and headwinds, uh, I think people have um, often, you know, we always want our transit to be better. But, you know, the transit system that, that Chicago has is is you know remarkably extensive and we are well served relative to other uh other regions and that's a big part of our our city's you know secret to success and i think now that we're seeing it under threat people are waking up and realizing that you know we can't just take the system for granted that is jim merrill he's with the active transportation alliance and i thank you for spending this half hour with us uh, to our listeners if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com you can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com we'll be back next week with another edition of that issue and i hope you'll be listening until then i'm craig delamore 1059 wbbm we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.